Welcome to the life of Jesus. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off the last time on page 16, I believe, in chapter 1. And uh, is that correct? Yes, good. Okay, because I'm doing this with the youth as well, so I've got two tabs. I have to make sure I get the right one. All right, so um, <coughs> we began, began discussing um, the creations of God. In this case, we were discussing angels, if you remember. And we started to look at the different kinds of angels. And the angel that we were um, looking at was, the first one was the cherubim. And uh, we, we went to Ezekiel chapter 1 and began to, look, began to look at that. And read through several verses from verse 3 um, through to verse 14. And um, we were looking at all the different characteristics. Um, and once we got to verse 24 we began to realize, and we're going to see in the next few verses, um, these magnificent creatures uh, were actually cherubim. They, they would talk, it was talking about the way there's lightning that goes be between them, and they can go in any direction, uh, because they got four faces, so they don't have to turn around. <laughs> okay? They just, for them, a, a face is straight. So if they're going left, there's a face that's facing that way, so it's straight for that face. Okay, so they can go straight in any direction, hence the language. All right, and um, we got to Ezekiel 1.24 on page 16, and it says, As they flew, their wings roared like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. Obviously, Ezekiel is trying to explain what it sounds like. And he's going, maybe it's like this, well, or that, or that. <laughs> okay, uh, so... I mean, he's seeing something that literally goes beyond words. Okay, so we, uh, I'm saying that to say this. Be careful how much you read into what he actually says. Um, pick up more on what he's trying to express to us. Okay, he, he's seeing something that is incredible. It is almost assaulting all of his senses. And he's trying to make sense of everything that he's seeing and hearing and trying to write it down in a way that people could understand it. Alright, I think anybody would have a challenge trying to write down something that comes from God, from heaven, a creation, something that you've never seen before, and suddenly it's in front of you and you're trying to write about it. You have no words. You understand? Um, we would have the same problem if we were trying to explain how an aircraft flies and if we didn't know anything about aerodynamics. We're very difficult to understand, and uh, the person with the right language will talk about turbines and you know rotors and all sorts of things. But we'll go that big swirly thing, and then the thing that goes like this, <laughs> okay, like a sail that turns left and right. You know, <laughs> all right. We'll be saying all sorts of things to try and convey a thought. Read this in the spirit. Pick it up in the spirit. And following this, Ezekiel now goes and identifies these magnificent creatures. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, when he says, These were the same living beings I had seen beneath, uh, beneath the God of Israel when I was by the Kebar River. All right? So this was exactly where he was in Ezekiel 1-3 when he began his description of the angels. And now says, I knew they were cherubim. Okay? For each had four faces and four wings and what looked like human hands under their wings. Those are all the things that he had said previously. Alright, and this further uh, is further confirmed by what Ezekiel says in chapter 10, when he repeats a lot of what he had already said in chapter 1. 
such as in verse 5 when he says, the moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of uh, God Almighty. Okay? And there's the other reference there as well. So following this, um, what he also says in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, uh, is that the cherubim could move forward in any of the four directions they faced without turning uh, as they moved. So again, this is similar to Ezekiel 112. They moved straight forward in all four or in all directions without having to turn around. Okay, and then in verse 14, each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox, the second was a face of a human, and the third was the face of a lion, the fourth of a face of an eagle. Again, this is the same as Ezekiel 110. Each had a human face in front, face of a lion, face of an ox, okay, and so on and so forth. So what's of immense significance here is the fact that <coughs> it is only after Ezekiel describes these magnificent creatures and their functions that he goes on to point one of them out and says in Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 14 and 15 you, referring to Lucifer, were anointed as a guardian cherub. Now do you understand why he turns around and says you? See, <coughs> what has happened in the past is people have just gone straight to Ezekiel 28. We are going to look at Ezekiel 28 maybe today, maybe in the next time. All right? It's the next thing on the agenda. All right? Our war in heaven is Ezekiel 28. It's going to begin there. The thing is that if you read this out of context, if you start in Ezekiel 28, then you are going to read about Lucifer and you're going to go, wow, what an amazing creature. Okay, and, go, and do what a lot of Christians have done in the past. All right? Exalted him and said, oh, he was a magnificent being and second only to God, so to speak, and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? We, he has just, Ezekiel has just spent two lots of chapters describing these incredible creatures and not, none of them are, are, are Lucifer. <laughs> okay? He's just saying these, this is their function. These are incredible creatures and there's not just one of them. Sorry? Yeah. It's just that once he finishes describing this caliber and class of angel, which is incredible. Okay, I'll say that. Then he points to one and he says, you. Like, really? Okay, <laughs> do you understand? So we, we really need to understand that he's going, why? It's just a dumb thing to do. Is what we're going to, you know, that little song that they go, dumb ways to die? Well, you know, this is looking at him going, this is a really dumb move. Okay? Um, and you, uh, like I said before, remember, this is only one of many creatures of the same caliber that God created, and he wasn't God in God's throne. He was in the mountain of God, but he wasn't in that position. Well, can I ask you a question? Who would you have God in your throne? The angels you trust the most. <laughs> okay, all right, obviously. The, and they'll be the most powerful things. You wouldn't have a weakling guarding the throne? Can I get an amen? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, you would have your best four. And remember there's four of them. And I mean, they are just scary to look at. That's why he went to so much trouble to describe them. Because he's saying, this is a scary sight. This is a sight of the power and the might of God himself are seen in these creatures. And they are only creations of God Almighty. You know God is more powerful than anything he created. But even in that he's saying, can you 
look, look at what is guarding his throne. And now, one of those. Not one of the throne ones, another one. Okay, <laughs> which is where he says, you are anointed as a guardian cherub. See this? Obviously, one of the jobs of the cherubs was to guard, be guardians over either the throne or who knows, we'll see, okay, in time to come. You need to read all this. See, we, we miss all of these things, all right? And he says, a guardian cherub. He did not say the guardian cherub. Remember, there's four already, okay? You can't have a dove when there's already four, all right, <coughs> which is what all the cherubim angels were anointed to do and why one was placed in the Garden of Eden to guard the way. Remember we, we saw that as well in Genesis 3.24 he put cherubim okay and, and shouldn't, shouldn't be one there did I say one? one, it shouldn't be one we don't know how many just saying why they okay were placed in the garden sorry about that <coughs> obviously there were several cherubim that were placed there this is the thing, it's one of those words can mean singular or plural so change it to a plural, I believe there was more than one cherub there Okay. and uh, anyway they were, they, were, they were guardians so not only are they guarding the throne but when man sins they are set in the garden to guard the way to the tree of life Okay. again they're guardians alright and uh, for so I ordained you. So he's saying that's how, see again, see, we read this, that God ordained Lucifer. <gasps> oh, big thing. No, man, all the other ones ordained the same way. <laughs> okay? There's some in his throne, there's some at the garden, they're all, all ordained to do that. Okay? So you need to understand, that's how God does, you know, he, when he chooses and when he created these angels, he ordained them to do things. Do you understand? For us, you know, we have our ordination services and everything. But you don't need any of that stuff. If God has ordained you to do something, well, that's what you're going to do. And you better do it. Others are going to be, you know, uh, uh, answerable to Him with what you did with His gift. We looked at that. <laughs> okay? Alright. So, you need to read all of it in this slide as we go through and when we get to it. Um, and He says, you were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Again, the cherubim were always in the presence of God. So this is not a big deal, but he's saying it is a big deal, but it isn't that he was the only one that had this big deal. Are you all with me? And he says, you were blameless in your ways, as were all the cherubim. And they still are, except for him. Okay, are you getting this? Can you, are you beginning to see this now? Alright, what he's trying to say is God created these cherubim as magnificent creatures. They were all magnificent, they were blameless, they were, they were in the presence of God constantly. They, they were His guardians. So He's picking this not to say, this is about, a, this is how, I'm, I'm sorry I'm harping on this a bit, but this is how I got taught it. Okay, I got taught that He was a special class of angel, and look at all the stuff it says in the verse. Until I went and read all the other verses. You know, and then I realized something, it was a, a lie perpetrated, perpetrated from hell to make de the devil look more than what he is. And I thought, oh, I get it. I get it. You know what? <coughs> One of my cherubim could take him down. Because they're still linked with God. Hello. Just saying. 
more of us than with them. Okay, all right. And he says, um, again, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And that is the one thing that is going to distinguish this cherubim from all the other ones. Wickedness found was found in him. There wasn't any wickedness on the outside influencing him. Sad, isn't it? We'll see how that came about. You'll actually get to see it. <coughs> in other words, while all the cherubim were anointed guardians, ordained by God, there was one in whom wickedness was found, and it made him stand out from the rest and not in a good way. Therefore, con contrary to popular belief, this angel was not one of a kind, as he would have us believe, but simply one of a great many cherubim class of angel, and possibly the only one of his class, possibly, that was foolish enough to rebel against God. Either way, it is a fact that since only one-third of the angels rebelled, there are more cherubim with us than against us. Amen? And now that we know that Lucifer was a cherubim, and according to Ezekiel 1.10 and 1.14, that they have the face of a lion, I wonder if Jesus revealed this to Peter, and that's why he would later write in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Something to think about, eh? Amen? You know, the more you get to know about these things, the more, you know, you start to realize that they didn't just pick things out of the air. You don't know how much background is there in everything that is being said. There is a depth to the Word of God that we still have to discover. Amen? And I think the more we study, the more we'll begin to see why everything in it was said. Nothing was random. Do you understand? Except for um, Ecclesiastes. I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, <laughs> I think the guy was high and wrote it. <laughs> anyway, so that concludes, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> that concludes the cherubim class of angel. The next one we're going to look at is the seraphim that is sometimes associated with the cherubim and that is, uh, excuse me, I've just said the heaven eye. All right. <laughs> the one thing they have in common with the cherubim is how closely they actually work with God. Alright, there are only two scriptures in the Bible that actually talk directly about seraphim. And they are both found in Isaiah chapter 6, um, especially in verses 2 and 6. So we'll look at those scriptures, beginning in verse 1 um, and 2, where Isaiah writes, In the year King Uzziah died, which is about 739 B.C., of leprosy, after 52 years on the throne, by the way, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high, lifted up, emphasizing the Most High God, and the train or hem of his robe filled the temple. You can just imagine the way this looks. It's just an incredible sight. And above it, above it, remember the cherubim are around it. All right? Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Now, how many wings did the cherubim have? Four wings. Very good. Interesting, isn't it? All right? These guys have two more wings. We'll see why in a minute. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. This is God's, I call him God's Air Force. <laughs> okay? While the cherubim are down on the ground, they pro I don't know whether they can fly or not, but the seraphim definitely can fly. These guys will take off, and boy, I tell you, they're a sight to look at. Let me read all of this, It'll just give you some tremendous insight into this. A spirit-filled Bible has a great deal to say about the seraphim. First in the section categorized uh, word well, well. 
it says a burning, fiery, gliding, angelic being. Can you see this? Also a fire-colored, agile, gliding desert creature, presumably a fiery serpent. The root is the, the verb seraph, to set on fire, to burn. Accordingly, the seraphim may be angels of a fiery color or appearance, or flame-like in motion or clearness. Perhaps the color or motion of the uh, earthly, uh, earthly fiery serpents resembles that of the fiery angels. So that's what they, they're trying to again explain what these things look like. Okay? So they're just streaks of red. They're like fire and they, they kind of fly from one place to another and they do it very quickly. It'll be like literally seeing fire in the sky. If you all catch up. Okay? Alright. Uh, it is quite possible that, uh, then that this is the type of angel that Hebrews 1.7 refers to when it says, and of the angel he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Interesting, isn't it? All right? Now it could have other meanings, but it was just an interesting reference um, because there are so many different kinds of angels. You know, not all the angels are the same. So sometimes they'll make reference to one kind of angel, sometimes to another, and you need to know when they say angel, you need to know which kind. Okay? All right. Next in the label section, Kingdom, Dy Kingdom Dynamics, the Spirit uh, Filled Life Bible says, the ministry of the seraphim is closely re related to the throne and the praises of God. They are seen constantly glorifying God, exalting and admiring His nature and attributes, and supervising heaven's worship. And whereas the cherubim were, are positioned beside and around the throne of God, okay, Psalm 99 verse 1 is down there, the six-winged seraphim are seen as hovering above the throne as they minister in worship. Isn't this beautiful? Okay, so we have cherubim down the bottom, we have seraphim, and they're all in worship. Okay, but notice again that though they have six wings, only two are for flying. The other four are there to shield themselves from the power and intensity of God's glory because of their very close proximity to God. Okay? So that's the, the you know, it, remember when we were created, people say, gosh, the angels sound just incredible. You know, what defense did we have against those creatures? Psalm tells us that God, when He created man, crowned him with His glory and His honor. And just as these seraphim have to cover their faces and cover everything when they're around God, guess what they would have had to do in, with those that were in the image of God? Do you understand? See, we, we need to understand that God didn't leave us defenseless. We became defenseless when we fell. Alright, which is really sad. And the thing is, we need to know that in order to regain our defenses once we become Christians. We need to know there's something available, but we need to work at getting it back out. Okay? Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger had to work it okay, to get his muscles, okay? <laughs> They're all in there. We all have the potential. But, you know, okay, not all of us have those big, bulky, wonderful things hanging off our hands. Some of us go the opposite direction. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, verse 3 goes in the same. And one cried to another, again, these are the seraphim, in a communicative, responsive praise and worship to God, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, signifying God's purity of character, separation from sin, 
and opposition to all that is evil. Okay? That's, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what they sing above his throne. Okay? So again, notice that the seraphim are shown to uh, praise and worship God. But not only that, it goes in the same verses 4 through 8. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried. Uh, cried out, indicating the immense power of this angel. And the house was filled with smoke, indicating its effect on the natural realm. So something happens in the natural realm when these creatures are around. Do you understand? Things move, things shake, smoke appears. Okay? It's obvious that these creatures from this realm, when they begin to move, they are so powerful that they literally have an effect on our realm. And that's what this is trying to tell us. Which is quite incredible. Okay? Which is quite incredible. Okay. So I said, woe is me. <laughs> yeah, I would be saying this too. For I am undone because I am, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. Notice the capital K. The Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar of incense, incense, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Wow. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Said they, if only we would respond the same way. Amen. But we do. You know, you're here today in Bible college. You could be at home. You could be watching TV. You could be doing stuff that everybody else is doing. <laughs> okay, having a party, alright. But you know what? There are those that will go that extra mile for God. And you know, we want, and, and this is the place to be. You need to learn before you can do. Amen? And uh, you never stop learning either. You know, my prayer is that as we, and when the time comes, I know there will be plenty, of, plenty for us to do. Uh, you know, from, ex from past experience. And, uh, but we need to be ready for it, also from past experience. <laughs> okay? It, it, it's, not, it's not about how busy we get and how busy we are for the Lord. It's how close we are to Him while we do what we're doing according to His leading and His guidance. Okay? Not out of guilt. That is a key thing that we as a church, as we progress forward, need to learn. Alright? We need to be led by the Spirit. And you know what? The, the difficult thing about being led by the Spirit is because there's no emotional tug, and because you're not guilted into it, you have to decide you want to do it. It's a little hard. I'm just saying. Okay? Because you don't have to. You should, but you don't have to. But you know, this is, this is what people have learned on the outside and why they guilt people into things. Because they, you know, people generally, not everyone, but generally, if people are left to make a decision, yes or no, if they are not guilted into something, they'll say no. Generally speaking, okay? Because it's just the lazy part. Alright, that's why, you know, Jesus says that many are called, few are chosen. Because oh, the guys that are called, mostly they go off in another direction. They choose to say no. <laughs> okay? And you need to understand that it is an important thing. You know, we, we need to respond. This, this uh, you know, Isaiah responded. 
thank God. You know, he realized his unworthiness and he says, send me, God, send me, I'll go. And I think that's, uh, that's admirable. All right. In short, not only do these magnificent creatures burn with a holy fire, getting back to this, but they seem to guard the Creator and, of course, worship Him and carry out special acts of service, uh, in this case, an act of purification for God's chosen and anointed prophet, Isaiah. So, we'll move on to the next part. We, next, we'll go and look at um, the four living creatures. Um, I think we can do that. So, following these two extraordinary creations comes the four living creatures. Although some believe them to be either cherubim or seraphim, they are neither. They are spoken of in Revelation chapter 4, where it says, beginning in verses 6 and 7, it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, yeah, you cannot sneak up on these guys. Alright? <laughs> okay. There are four living creatures. And the first living creature was like a lion. Now, see, this is why they think it's um, a cherubim or whatever. Okay? But notice this. There are four of them. With the cherubim, there's one with four faces. This is the reason why I went through it to so much detail to show you the differences here. Okay? So here we have the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now notice it says, had a face like a man. It didn't say a face of a man. Do you understand? It will be interesting to see what that looked like. Because it kind of like us, but it ain't. <laughs> Alright? Okay. But notice again that there are four of them. Okay? And it says the, the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, meaning that its wings must have constantly been outstretched because it looks like a flying eagle. Okay? So notice, first of all, here that um, there are only four living creatures, while there are multitudes of cherubim and seraphim. And unlike the cherubim and seraphim, who all have the same general features, each of these creatures are different in appearance to the other. To get all that. Okay? So, did, did you get that? Good? Okay, good. All right. William MacDonald says that the angelic beings are guardians of the throne of God. And also in relation to their worship, that most manuscripts actually have the word holy recorded nine times in the next verse. And so, it, it, it's, it's, they don't just say holy, holy, holy three times. Okay? They actually are saying holy, holy. They are seeing the holiness of God constantly. They are in the presence of it, and the only way that they can say it is just to say that one word out over and over again. Pretty incredible, isn't it? You begin to understand, what, you know, people say, well, I'm going to go to heaven, and, you know, I'm going to argue with God, and <laughs> you won't even get there. The holiness of God, you know what? You can't even comprehend how much of a sinner you are compared to that perfection. Sorry, what is that? We will. But, you know, those, those uh, I'm talking specifically about those sinners that want to argue. You know, they say, I'll get to the throne and I'll argue with God and I'll tell Him how He should let me in. I'll bet money when they get there, they won't be able to say a thing. They'll be like... <laughs> okay? He goes, okay, well that's all you're going to have to say. See you later. Bye. Next. <laughs> Alright. So, uh, anyway. Added to this, Professor of Theology Henry Barclay tweet writes, the four forms 
suggests whatever is noblest, strongest, wisest, and swiftest in uh, animate nature. Okay? Nature, including man, is represented before the throne, taking its part in the fulfillment of the divine will and the worship of the divine majesty. Take it for what it's worth. All right? So, did we get that over Yeah, okay. So, it's a very interesting comment that he makes. All right? He's, he's saying the, the very best attributes, if I could put it that way. Okay, the things that are the strongest, the wisest, the noblest. Okay? Those are the things that are being represented there, he's saying. Okay? In these four living creatures. All right? And um, so, and he's saying that that's, that is their, that's their part. That's kind of God's will in, in demonstration in these creatures. Do you understand? So in seeing them, you, s you understand something about God, okay? That he created those out of himself. Do so anyway, now that we've established that these creatures are neither cherubim nor seraphim, let's go uh, on to see what it says about them in verses 8 through 11, where the Apostle John again writes, and the four living creatures each having six wings. Now see, the cherubim only had four. So these guys have the faces of the cherubim, but they got the wings of the seraphim. Are you all here? Okay. Alright. And uh, so again it says, We're full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. My goodness. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him. Can you imagine... John is seeing all of this. He's trying to write all this down. He's going, now who are them? Oh, those are the, 20, okay. <laughs> those are the 24 elders. Oh, okay, they don't look that old. No, <laughs> alright? Alright, elders doesn't necessarily mean old. Okay. Anyway, I don't have time for that today. So it says, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. There's a song like this. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. It is a song they sing in heaven. They're beautiful. And we sing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've got that one right at least. All right. In other words, whenever these four living creatures thank, honor and glorify God, they inspire the 24 elders to fall down and worship Him. We get some insight into why the 24 elders do this in Revelation 6.1 when it says, Now I saw uh, when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. Okay, so this is, this is their... Um, this is kind of why the 24 elders fall down. They, when they begin to say things, this is what they sound like. They have, their voices are like thunder. So it's not a quiet thing. Can you imagine all four of them? With that, that kind of power, the 24 elders hit the ground. <laughs> okay, they go, time to worship! Okay, so anyway, I'm trying to give you, a, you know, this is very hard to minister because it's, it requires a lot of imagination and this is just beyond words, really. They're, they're trying to explain things and it's incredible what is going on right now. You know, if we were just watching it, it would be just like a science fiction film, you know, plus. So here we are told, two minutes, here we are told what just one of these creatures sound like. And if just one sounds like this, 
We can only imagine. See, I don't know why I did that. See, they imagine. Okay, I had to go correct all of them. So you're going to find this all through the, the text because I didn't realize. When I did a spell check, it brought this up. And because uh, I, I moved it from my old word to my new word, and my new word when I did something naughty. Anyway, so we can only imagine what all four sound like at once when they are glorifying God with their strength or with all their strength. Did you get that? With all their strength. <laughs> okay, and why the 24 elders are compelled to fall to the ground and worship God. <coughs> Excuse me. Progressing to Revelation chapter 15, we find these four living creatures involved in direct, uh, directing God's judgments with verses 5 through 8 saying, after these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with the smoke of, uh, from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. That's a whole other story. Anyway, the, the thing that I want to draw your attention to was notice that they are involved in directing God's judgments. Okay, again in verse 7 it says, One of the following creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. This is judgment being, being dished out, <laughs> so to speak. All right. Finally, back in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 3, it tells us that these four living creatures are witnesses to the worship offered to God by the 144,000, presumably Jews, who were saved during the tribulation. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Just saying, okay? All right. <laughs> They'll insist, but it, it ain't. Um, it says that they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. All right? And that concludes all the direct references to the four living creatures. And we'll leave it there, and we'll pick it up in the next uh, session, talking about the archangels. <laughs>